And so this video comes out and of course I'm a nobody. So I didn't get to watch the video before it came out. I didn't get any, I wasn't even thinking five steps ahead. This right. video comes out and it was, I was not ready for that story to be told. And they put on like B-roll of like, while I was talking about binging, they put like B-roll of someone reaching for French fries and reaching for yeah. burgers. It was just like, like nothing bad to pop sugar. I yeah. just... This was probably something on my end. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. And I and maybe they thought I was ready for that, but I just watched this video and I was like super embarrassed and I didn't want to share it with people. I don't even think I posted about it at the time. Welcome back to the Well Now It podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. That clip you just heard was Victoria Garrick. You may have seen her extremely popular body positivity TikToks on your feed. She's a former Division I volleyball player and is most known as a leader in the body image advocacy space. In this episode, we chat about her crazy schedule of being a college athlete and how she learned to deal with all the stress, her struggles with binge eating and opening up about anxiety and depression, how she deals with expectations on having to be real all the time, and productivity tips she has. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm here with Victoria Garrick. I'm a huge fan of hers and I actually interviewed her boyfriend in a previous episode, Max Brown. And Victoria is a former Div 1 volleyball player, TED Talk speaker, social media influencer, and mental health advocate. Since delivering her TED Talk in 2017, Victoria has become a leader in the mental health and body image advocacy space. She also has her own podcast called The Real Pod, where she interviews athletes, celebrities, friends about body image and mental health. And I personally really admire the work that she's doing, um, in particular around body image. And I recently um, released an episode talking about my struggles with a past eating disorder. So it's been really refreshing seeing her positive content out there on my feeds. So Victoria, let's chat about your experience um, being a university experience, being a Div 1 athlete. Was that always the plan or always in the books for you to go to university and to play volleyball? Well, first of all, I love Div 1. I've never heard that be said like that, but that's, that's so cool. That's such, like, <laughs> Maybe a it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> really? Oh my God, I love yeah. that Div 1. Yeah. I want to start abbreviating. I abbreviate many things. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, so I had always wanted to play division one. I don't think it was um, so much so the division as the conference. I always want to play in the PAC 12 conference, which happened to be division one. My brother golfed at UCLA. So I grew up, you know, supporting him, watching him on TV. That's where I kind of fell in love with PAC 12 networks. And I also grew up near Stanford. So I was able to go to Stanford and watch their volleyball team play. And that's just kind of how I fell in love with the conference. And in terms of USC, that was just the school I was drawn to the most. I just thought the team was incredible. I thought their libero at the time, who was my position, Natalie Hagland, was so good. I looked up to her as a young player. And so being a part of that team was really everything I wanted when it came to volleyball at the next level. Yeah. And what was your schedule like um, being a Div 1 athlete and being a full-time student? crazy. Um, It was a lot. Uh, I remember freshman year, they gave us like, usually you get the volleyball commitments from your coach and then you go get your classes because what's coming first is your volleyball commitments. And so I looked at this list and it was one to six o'clock was just blocked off in black. 
And I was like, what am I doing for five hours of my day, Monday through Friday? And they were like, well, that's volleyball time. That's practice. That's film. That's working out. And I just could not believe it. And then I had to go get classes scheduled from 8 a.m. to 1 or from 6.30 to 9 at night. And that was also stressful Um, for me because there were so many classes I couldn't take. And a lot of times people are like, oh, athletes get first priority in choosing their class, but they don't follow that up with, because you're going to have little time to figure this out. So we're going to need you to get first priority to just see what classes work. Um, So it was really frustrating for me that freshman year, like literally looking at my schedule and realizing how little time I had. It was a huge adjustment from three days of practice as a high schooler for four years. You know, I was practicing Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for two hours to now Monday through Friday for five hours, a five hour block. And then also Saturdays and Sundays traveling and having games. So my schedule was definitely demanding um, and required a lot of time management, energy, and attention to keep up with. Yeah, that's an intense and crazy schedule. Um, I can't imagine trying to balance that, like trying to have a social life in university as well and with school. So what else would you say would be like another challenging aspect that you had um, for your university experience? I would say another challenging factor was learning how to handle the stress and the pressure that comes along with a schedule like that. And a a lifestyle like that, I had never been under the microscope so closely and felt like I had had to perform at such a high level before, both on and off the court. So it was difficult for me to navigate that because, like I said, I'd never been in a situation like that before. And I was 18. I was living with strangers. I was away from my family and holding myself to a standard that felt really impossible to meet each day. What were your thoughts post-grad? What were you thinking of doing um, after university? I had thought I would be a sports broadcaster. So I went to school to major in journalism, which I did major in. And the goal was, oh, I want to be like a sideline reporter in the NFL, the NBA. But I soon kind of realized that... I didn't really want that for the right reasons. Um, Obviously, I love sports, but I think I wanted to, and this is so embarrassing, but it's the truth. um, I think I wanted to just be like a pretty girl on the sidelines or like a pretty girl on a big network. Um, I didn't actually care to watch a football game. I didn't actually love the grind of what that job entailed because those women work their butts off, um, especially just studying and shadowing some of these women like it is not just grab the mic look cute and say a few things um they Mm. are hustlers so also it was like I didn't want to put that work in because I didn't actually love what I was doing and at the same time I was slowly realizing that I myself as an athlete was so much more than my stats and so much more than what I came down to on paper so as I was sort of kind of having this awakening in my athletic life of I'm so much more than an athlete. Um, The stats, the pressure, like the struggles I'm having behind the scenes are what don't show up on paper or on TV. Yet here I am pursuing a career where I'm just going to report on the stats and numbers of other athletes when I know Mm -hmm. there's so much more about them. And I kind of realized that I did want to tell stories about athletes, but stories that I thought needed the attention more. And those were stories of mental health, body image, anxiety, um, depression, 
And that is kind of how I shifted my passion kind of as a journalist. Yeah. So you had a whole TED talk in 2017 about struggling with anxiety and depression as a college athlete. So how did that whole thing come about? Uh, My sophomore year of school, I was very lucky to be sitting in class one night and saw an email come through that was sent to all the student athletes. And it said something like, once in a lifetime TEDx opportunity at USC. And I remember clicking on this email. And the one of the funny things was we only had like 24 or 48 hours max to get our application in because what the message I got was, was they emailed it to everyone else on campus. And someone the night before the apps were due was like, oh, we forgot to send this to the athletes. So let's just get this out there. But we don't think any of them will apply. You know, like we were such a last minute group on campus that they emailed. But at the same time, I had been kind of having these thoughts that I kind of just explained, right? Like thinking about these bigger stories and how they need to be shared. And I had been keeping kind of notes and journals about my life and kind of what was going on with my mental health. And the stars just really aligned when that email came through because I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about and I wanted to apply. And I'd never done anything like that before. No public speaking. I had always been very outgoing and I did not, I don't get nervous in front of crowds. So luckily that was a plus, but I, you know, pulled together my application and sent it in. Then I got invited to the first round of interviews. Then I got invited to the second round of interviews. Then I got cut. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, great. I didn't make it, but I wasn't that shocked because I was like, it's a TED talk. So what was I expecting? I was going to get it. Um, so I went on with my day. And then that night I got another email saying, actually, we would actually like to see you one more time. Can you meet tomorrow at seven? Something super last minute. So I went to that last minute I guess you, I don't know, audition or interview. And I just did everything I could to tell them how badly I wanted to share the story and be someone to help this conversation come to the forefront. And I ended up getting the talk. And so that is kind of the longer story of how that Mm -hmm. happened. And then of course, there's a whole process of writing the talk, prepping for months, and then eventually delivering it. But that experience was safe to say life-changing for me. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And um, I also really enjoyed hearing your interview on Caitlin Bristow's podcast, where you opened up about um, your struggles with binge eating and um, you, you opened up to your mom first and it seemed, I guess, fairly easy, but how did you open up about it more publicly? And um, were your friends kind of aware of what you were going through? The binge eating, disordered eating was something that was the most difficult for me to come forward with. I actually Mm -hmm. delivered the TED Talk, not mentioning any sort of issues with food and not even shedding light on that on my Instagram. So it just goes to show that like I was able to get up there and discuss like the darkest thoughts I've had in my life, yet I could not also tell people that I was struggling with food. Mm -hmm. To me... I just felt so much shame with the binging and shame around feeling disgusted with my appearance and my weight. And that came later for me. And I slowly started to open up about that. And the first time I actually really opened up about it was in a pop sugar interview. Um, I did a feature with them. You know, I thought it was so cool. I was going to be on this website and I kind of went and I just talked to this 
really kind reporter for like an hour. And of course Mm -hmm. I'm such an open person. Like I will tell anyone everything. And I kind of wasn't thinking about the fact that they were taking anything I was saying and going to put it in a video and put it out to millions of people. And so this video comes out and of course I'm a nobody. So I didn't get to watch the video before it came out. I didn't get any, I wasn't even thinking five steps ahead. This video comes out and it was, I was not ready for that story to be told. And they put on like B-roll of like while I was talking about binging, they put like B-roll of someone reaching for French fries and reaching for yeah. burgers. It was just like like nothing bad to pop sugar. I yeah. just this was probably something on my end. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. And mm-hmm. I and maybe they thought I was ready for that, but I just watched this video and I was like super embarrassed and I didn't want to share it with people. I don't even think I posted about it at the time. And then I started to get so many messages. Like so many people messaging me saying, I saw your pop sugar, random people, because I didn't post about it, saying, I saw this pop sugar video. You're the volleyball player. I do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like so comforting to have so many other women message me and say, I cried watching this video. This is exactly what I'm struggling with. And it made me feel encouraged and supported to own that part of my story um, because I kind of got that preview of how many people were feeling the same way as me. Because it was funny. Once again, I convinced myself I must be the only one who binges and who has these, you know, uh, temptations and this kind of gluttonous relationship with food. And then I realized so many other people did. So it's funny how I I was able to accept that with anxiety and depression, but I couldn't accept it with food until um, this moment. But that's kind of how I ended up gaining the courage to share that part of my story. And also kudos to you. You mentioned in the intro that you opened up about this in one of your podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. So, um, you know, I really commend your bravery to do that. No, thank you. I really appreciate that. I just find with anxiety and depression, it's becoming a lot more normal to talk about it and to reach out for help. But when it comes with eating disorders, in particular binge eating, I find that people who haven't gone through it think of it as very shameful and embarrassing. And when you compare it with anorexia, for example, on the other spectrum, um, it's seen as you're more in control, I guess, and binge eating is like you've completely lost all control. And that's kind of the mindset that people have when they don't really know what it is. So I think definitely just changing that dialogue and you coming out and speaking about it um, in that pop sugar interview, that's that's incredible and so brave for you to share that. Even though you weren't ready at the moment, it created a bigger discussion. So how did your your platform kind of just grow from there? I would say it was gradual. Um, The TED Talk ended up being really successful and gaining a lot of views quickly. Not like a million views overnight, but tens of thousands were kind of happening week by week. And I was starting to get messages from there. And then I was getting messages from the Pop Sugar video. And I'd also wrote an article about body image how I learned to love my body as a female athlete, which kind of came out that spring too. So it was like, I did these three things that each kind of had their own snowball effect. And I started to realize that people were coming to me to receive that support and possibly hear more. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, I have so much more to tell. Like that was a 15 minute TED talk. That's a two page article and that's a four minute video. But I have so much more that happens on a daily basis that I want to talk about that hopefully could help people. And that's how I started kind of turning my platform or my Instagram into a platform um, and see what it is now. 
you know, it was gradual. And then I realized I should start a YouTube channel. And then from the YouTube channel, I was like, I should be more, pay more attention to the type of content I'm posting and how can I get creative with this and how can I maximize the potential of this content? And that's just kind of how everything started to grow for me. And then eventually when I was graduating college, I started getting invitations to speak at different schools. And I had never thought about that before. I hadn't spoke in two years since the talk, but I, but I figured out, I guess I could go speak again. I guess I could Mm -hmm. do this. And that's kind of how gradually that started and led me to being in a position to do a full on university tour this past fall. And now I'm here and I'm really grateful for it. No, yeah, that's awesome. And I love um, your TikTok videos. I know that you've gotten quite popular on there. And when you publish them now, do you still get nervous or do you ever worry what other people think of you, what you look like, or is now just this kind of like over your head? I would say I don't worry about what I look like or (laughs) what people will think of my body. I Mm -hmm. definitely will have pictures or moments where maybe I'm thinking, does this look really bad? Like, do I look really big? And then I, of course, think it's important to check myself. Like, well, what's wrong with looking big? Um, Where is this like internalized fat phobia coming from? Like, I think that's also good work for me to do on myself. Um, So I'm always learning and growing, but no, I've never like not posted something because of the way I looked. If anything, I think I'm so used to seeing the power that that can have in helping someone else. Um, But obviously when it comes to TikToks, um, like I did one the other day that I thought was like kind of darker than usual. It was, I don't know if you saw this cause it was literally two days ago, but it was the mm-hmm. one where I was questioning if I should eat a piece of pizza. And there was like a black and white person kind of coming in and out saying these negative things. And you know, that to me, like as much as it is a little TikTok and people just swipe through, like to me, that's like a, <laughs> this is sounds so weird, but I think it was like a little piece of cinema. Like I brought out my ring light. I like really thought about the meaning. I thought like how powerful it could be to show like these intrusive thoughts that come when you're trying to eat something because you've struggled with food. And, you know, those are definitely like sometimes these little TikToks. And then I made a TikTok actually like two months ago about when your parents come cheer you on and say, you must be so happy. And then it flipped to me like in bed crying and being like, I'm so unhappy and filming Mm -hmm. that one. I actually started crying (laughs) because I was like, this is so dark. And this is actually what happened that like, I was crying making this TikTok. And, and I guess that just goes to show, like, I'm still so emotionally connected to the content I create. I'm never just like, I mean, there are obviously times and moments where you put your business cap on and you think about like how to present something, Mm -hmm. but the root of it is truth. And sometimes when I'm having a vulnerable moment or a week or day, like, and I allow myself to tap into, I'm actually telling a story that's true to me, you know, it can really get me emotional. And so I think that's maybe my biggest struggle is I'm, I've, I'm known for like my realness yet it's difficult to be that real. I actually had a joke with someone the other day where this person I don't even keep in touch with anymore, but he's like, oh, I know everything like about you. Like, cause I posted about going to therapy. I posted about struggling with this. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting how like kind of all of my insecurities live online, but I know that that helps people and that's what keeps me doing it. 
I just want to pop in here and to thank this week's sponsor, Woodlot. Woodlot is a Canadian line of premium natural home and body basics. It was born from a desire for natural plant-based products, which infuse the best essential oils for aromatherapy. They have amazing coconut and soy candles, all natural soaps and lotions, essential oils, and natural body mists, all made from simple ingredients. You can find them at shopwoodlot.com and find natural and independent retailers. Now back to the interview. Yeah, so you're often seen as a role model for a lot of young women. And I was wondering if you ever struggled with those expectations to always be real, to always be showing all the parts of your life, the good and the bad. I don't think I do. Um, I think in being myself I and being 100% who I am and saying what I feel and putting all of my insecurity and shame on the forefront and kind of wearing that allows me to live my life more freely and more authentically because I know I'm showing up as myself. Um, I'd say the difficult thing with that is if people don't like me, I know they really don't like me because Mm -hmm. sometimes people can be like, oh, these people don't like me, but they don't really know me. I wasn't really myself. So you can always convince yourself that, you know, you have that one other thing in the or in the bank that maybe is the reason that, I don't know, you're worth, you could be liked by someone. But for me, it's like, if someone doesn't like me, I know they don't like me for who I am because I am myself every single day. But at the same time, I would rather be myself and truly, I think that actually, let me re-say that. I think the true benefit though, of being yourself hundred percent of the time is that the friends and the relationships you do attract and the community that does support you, you know, they support you and you know, those relationships are real and genuine. And so as much as it hurts when someone rejects you or doesn't like you because of who you are in mm-hmm. turn, those relationships you build are so valid and just so special because you are hundred percent yourself. So that is kind of how I level it all out. Yeah, no, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And shifting a little bit, a bit more on like the entrepreneur side, I know that you have your own podcast. Um, you started the hidden opponent. So I'm just wondering what do you do day to day for people that don't really know, um, <laughs> as a, like a young successful female entrepreneur, what are you up to? Yeah, I actually love this question because I think a lot of people ask about, um, you know, my story and my experiences, but they don't really understand like how much goes into kind of building out what's been built out. Um, It is strategy. It is business. It is networking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those things are so important to people who want to kind of leverage a platform and kind of making a living out of your passion. Mm -hmm. And I think my day-to-day... Let's see. Um, In terms of content each week, I'm trying to get up around four Instagrams, at least two TikToks a day. I was at a place where I was doing four TikToks a day Um, and then a YouTube video every week. And then I have a podcast every week. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of content that's coming out um, within a, uh, I would say more like five day span because other than maybe I'm posting one Instagram on the weekend, but it's a lot of content. Um, And for me, I've kind of developed a better workflow. Like now I'm at a place where I'm batching out my podcast episodes. So I have like the next month, if I didn't record, I would have four episodes to release. And that's been a huge help with getting things off my plate. Um, In terms of the day to day, every day is different. I have a little journal where I write down my to do each day. 
I'm always getting emails, which is always so stressful for me. Like I'm, I'm someone that if I didn't have to open my email inbox, I would be so happy with life. When I see the number, little red button go up to like 21, 27, 31. I'm like, no. <laughs> and like responding to emails, you'd be shocked how long, I mean, you know how long that takes. Like to yes, write an email is just, yes. it's crazy. It takes so long. I could spend all day doing emails. So I think my typical day, sorry, consists of emailing. I'll have phone calls, which change all the time, whether I'm speaking to a school about what the event we're planning is going to be, or I'm talking to some other kind of social media collaboration that we're working on. And then um, always with a hidden opponent, I have an incredible, incredible team who kind of does the daily work for that. Ben, Mm -hmm. Max Ruvo, and then Leanne Pissarro are the three mighty leaders that now kind of run the day-to-day there. But of course, I'm always texting with them, checking things off, double looking with them. Um, And then also just the creating content. Like I'm always filming. um, I'm always trying to stay creative. If I'm scrolling Instagram or TikTok, it's not just to take a break and like look at what my friends are doing. I'm scrolling, looking for ideas and creativity. That's another thing is being creative is I think very underrated. Like it's very difficult to put out four TikToks a day. Like on all different ideas. And I was doing that for like, I did that for like eight weeks straight and it grew my platform tremendously, but Mm -hmm. I ended up being burnt out. So I actually haven't been posting on TikTok for like three and a half, four weeks. And I actually was like really anxious about it, but I'm trying to just take it day by day. Um, yeah, I sorry if that sounds all over the place. That's because that's truly how it is. I need to figure it out. I need I need like the tough thing too is as an, a female entrepreneur, there's yes. not really an incredible guidebook. Like no one's like this is how you do it. You just kind yeah. of figure out how to sink or swim, and you figure out what's best for you. And that's kind of what I've been learning. And now I'm fortunately in a position where I've brought on like a graphic designer and a videographer who I can delegate like a YouTube video edit to or a post on Instagram to, and then that takes time off my plate, which I can spend elsewhere. Um, But I think the biggest thing I'll end with is you feel like you constantly have to be ahead of the ball. Like as if, as if it's a, it's as if a stampede is chasing you and you need to keep like your 50 foot lead. Um, And any day I feel like I'm not posting or I'm not booking out my future guests or I'm not responding on time, that stampede's getting closer to me. And I feel like that's just a way I can visualize kind of my anxiety. And like, you know, maybe that's something I have to work through. Like, so what happens if, you know, the stampede catches you? Like, you're going to be fine, Victoria. And I know Mm -hmm. that, but I think every day I do feel like I'm in a sprint. No, yeah, you've got a lot going on, but it's very impressive. And what would you say is kind of like in your personal like toolbox to ensure like your success? Is it a specific book? Is it a an app to keep you on track? So what would that be? I think having a journal where I hand write out what my tasks are for the day really helps me. I also have kind of been able to organize things as must do versus can do. So sometimes we'll make a huge, huge list of everything we want to do, but maybe only two of those things we actually need to do today. So I'll write down my list of all the stuff I need to do, but then I'll look at Monday and I will only put in Monday, like what I absolutely need to do today. And that makes me feel less overwhelmed. And then if I check those things off the box by one o'clock, I can go grab new things and and get ahead. Um, So that's helped me. And also I think not getting too upset with myself when things don't go as planned. So if I wake Mm -hmm. up and I, sometimes I wake up and I'm not in the mood to film, like whether something has happened in my life that is difficult for me, whether I'm not in like a super peppy, happy mood. Um, and I just don't want to pull up the camera and put on this face and act like I'm okay. And the good thing about what I do is 
it would be perfectly fine for me to be like, I'm not okay. And to film that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I also am very lucky that people who follow and support me uh, are there for those down days. And I don't always have to be perfect, but the days where I wake up and I don't want to do what is on my list that day for whatever reason, um, just being really compassionate with myself and saying, that's okay. Like we could film tomorrow. We'll make it work. And then let's do like behind the scenes stuff today where you don't need to be on camera. So, um, I think also just allowing compassion for yourself if your game plan changes. Yeah. And I just have a last question. Um, if you can go back in time, talk to younger Victoria in university or in college, um, and what would you say to her? I would say I have two things. The first one is probably more legit answer. The second one is more of a cliche, but the first one is I would go back and tell her, you know, you don't know everything. Like, you are going to learn so much, be open to learning and growing. I think when I entered college, I thought, oh, I know everything. I had friends in high school. I'm going to be this volleyball player. Like when you're 18, you just think you are an adult and like you are an adult legally, but there's so much that you need to learn. And so I wish that someone had told me like, you are not a fully blossomed flower. Like you're still in the growth process. And that would have made it so much easier for me to accept the anxiety, the depression, all the things I went through because it wouldn't have been such a shock. Um, so I would tell myself, you know, you don't know everything, be open to what the world is going to bring you. And then secondly, I also wish I could have just gone back and said, no one cares. Just have a good time. Like just enjoy your life. And like, you know, I did have people say that to me, but when you're living it, you're like, how could you say that? It's not that easy. And it's not that easy. But now here I am being the one saying that to people who are probably rolling their eyes, like it's not that easy to not care and have fun. But I really wish I could go back and do that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. As I said, I'm a huge fan of yours. I love that the work that you're doing. I love how open you are on social media. You show the good and the bad. And that's exactly the kind of role model and um, female that we need to see. So um, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Savannah. It was so great to speak with you. I'm glad to be connected and I really appreciate the interview. And that was Victoria Garrick. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I'm really glad that Victoria opened up about her struggles with mental health and her past eating disorder. So if this is something that really resonated with you, um, feel free to message me and let me know what you really thought about this episode. And I'll see you next week.